Let's pray. God, we're about to open your word. We're about to look at it and read it for what it is that you are saying to us. And God, you've brought all of us together. You have you set a divine appointment for your people this morning to gather to hear this passage from the book of Acts. And so, God, we just pray that uh, it would be you who speaks to us. It would be your Holy Spirit that opens your word, opens our minds, our hearts, our ears, that opens us up to what you have for us and that we might set aside the things that we think that we know and that we've heard before and to see what it is that you have new for us. And so, God, we give this time to you and just pray, Lord, that it is to your very greatest glory as, it you, as you are at work in our world and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Acts, the 16th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, we're going to jump into it, Acts 16.1, right away. The first thing I want to do is I want to set a little bit of a challenge out in front of you. <clears throat> I've been looking forward to talking about Acts 16 for a long time because there is so much here. There's literally something for all of us. Uh, you might have a different person than this passage that speaks to you. Uh, maybe there's something that goes on in the, the action because there's a lot of action that goes on. I would ask that you be open not to what someone else needs to hear, but what it is that God is saying to you today because there really is something for all of us. Uh, if uh, you are thinking I'm going to jump through the verses too fast and I'm not covering it all, you're absolutely right. We don't have time to cover everything. So I would encourage you over the next few days this week to go back and read the entire chapter 16 to fill yourself in on it. It's kind of like a mini, a mini, mini movie series. Uh, there's all these different scenes in it, and each one introduces us to different people. But there is this thread, and this thread in chapter 16 really is the thread of the entire book of Acts and the New Testament and salvation. The theme is salvation, human salvation, yours and mine. You're going to see the word come up in these verses often. And so it's a, it's a bit of history. We're going to read about a little bit about Paul, maybe challenge some of your thinking about Paul with what the text really says. We're going to see where, where the history and the thinking comes from up until this point, And then we're going to see a glimpse of the future that has yet to happen in the book of Acts with what will follow. So our introduction is Acts 1 to, 1 to 5. Uh, Paul and uh, we find out Silas are going to start doing some traveling. And they meet this lady who he's met before. And she has a son named Timothy. And in verse 3 it says, Timothy was well thought of, excuse me, verse 2, Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. So then they went from town to town, and as they preached the good news of the gospel, the church continued to grow. We've talked already about the church was not called the Christian church. They weren't called Christians. They were called the way. The way being the way that Jesus taught, living in the way of Jesus' life. And we've kind of gotten away from that. The word Christian doesn't happen in the Bible very often, isn't, isn't used, but the word, the phrase, the way is used often. This is our introduction to Timothy. Timothy ends up becoming a, uh, very much like a child to Paul. He ends up becoming a missionary. He ends up becoming a church planter. But this is our real introduction to him. Verse 3 is that first controversial statement. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Paul, what Paul really says, and where his thoughts are really coming from. And we need to look at the Bible because sometimes we elevate some words that we like to a place that maybe they were really never intended to be. Scripture, something for us to learn and to grow from. 
but maybe not carrying quite the weight that we attribute to it. In verse 3, see, we get this hint into Paul's character. Paul wanted Timothy to join them. It does not say that, that uh, God instructed Timothy to join them. It says Paul wanted to. He had met him earlier. He really saw someone who he could develop as a disciple. It says later on in 1 Corinthians that Paul became, uh, Timothy became like a son in the face to him. There, there was a, a bond that the two of them ended up growing into and sharing that is really wonderful. We read about it as we continue forward in the New Testament. It's a great reminder that you don't have to be a biological parent of someone to have a tremendous influence in their lives. We talk about Father's Day and Mother's Day, but there's a lot of people who haven't had children of their own, but they've been a tremendous influence on their lives. Timothy isn't Paul's son, but Paul treats him that way. He loves him that way, and he helps the disciple and to grow him that way. There's a couple of key insights, though, that we get from Paul. And so the reason I want to spend the time covering this is if you choose to follow Acts on your own, and if you continue to read into the New Testament... You are going to see things that, that come from Paul, that Luke records and others, and the things that Paul says himself, that are going to stop you a little bit, and you're going to ask, why did he say that? And really what it amounts to is, we get some insight into Paul that he's got a strong personality. Remember, this guy was Jewish. He was raised Jewish. He was raised to be a rabbi by one of the leading rabbinical teachers of his day. He had money. He had position and title. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And everything changed. And all of the, all of the energy that he put to persecuting the Christian church and the, and the Christians suddenly he put into proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He was driven and he was passionate. He was strong-minded and strong-willed. So one of the first things we see about Paul is we see what Paul wants. Paul wants Timothy to join him. He sees in something him that he can work with, that he can shape as a disciple, maybe that he can shape into becoming a leader. It doesn't tell us that that was at God's direction. It doesn't say that God instructed Tim, uh, Paul to take Timothy with him. The second thing is that Paul is very traditionally Jewish. The idea that he would have Timothy circumcised in deference to the Jews is definitely looking at the Jewish tradition that he grew up in and saying, we're going to follow this as we move forward in the way. So Paul is this guy that has his feet a little bit in both sides of history. He grew up in the Old Testament world, was very faithful and very committed. He met Jesus, and he stepped into what we know as the New Testament world. But all of what he grew up in and what he grew up believing didn't just suddenly disappear. And we need to remember that about Paul. Some people don't like the actual language that the Bible uses when it talks about Paul. They like to elevate him to a place that's awfully close to Jesus. Paul is an incredible man. He was an incredible missionary. He shares a lot of his own opinions. We see some of his will. And then at times we see what God speaks through him. And so all of this stuff that is attributed to Paul, whether it's what he says or what he thinks, should be in the Bible because God decided to put it in the Bible. But he's also a man chosen by God who, just like you and I, has opinions and preferences. And the Bible is very clear about differentiating human opinion and desires versus God's will and directives. It's very clear when we see whether God is instructing Paul or calling Paul to something, or whether Paul is choosing to do something. So often when we insert our opinions and ideas and will, it ends up in sin. 
God has a lesson for us in the life of Paul. Paul is an example that we can follow. As a disciple and as a follower of Jesus, he is in the Bible all over the New Testament as one of the most significant characters outside of Jesus because we need to learn from his life. But we need to read the words carefully. Some people treat every word from Paul as though it's a word directly from God. While it is in Scripture, it is scriptural. Not every word is straight from God. And we have to be careful what the text says and what the text doesn't say. Reading what's there and reading what we want to see there. It's important because our plans and God's will are not always the same thing. And what we see in Paul is a little bit of ourselves. Someone who truly loves Jesus, who truly wants to do his best but still thinks for himself. We see an example of this in verse 3. The text says, Paul wanted Timothy to join them. It doesn't say God instructed them. It doesn't say that Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to invite Timothy. It says Paul wanted Timothy to join. Now that's, a, that's an invitation that God is going to bless, and great things are going to come from that. It might have been that God moved on his heart, but the Bible doesn't say that. It just says that Paul wanted so when I stand before you and I, and I preach or I share a message from the Word or anybody that comes up here to talk to you, one of the things we always talk about is we begin with the text. That's God's Word. We start with the Bible. We talk about context. What did it say to the people of Jesus' day or to the day that it was written? What does it say to us? And then application. What do we do with it? How do we put it into practice in our life? For a preacher to do a good job and to, to treat God's Word with the seriousness and the weight that it should have, that takes some time. When I first uh, moved back to Minnesota, I got a, to be a part of a pastor's group. There were six of us. We met once a month, and basically we just talked about our calls and our lives and our struggles and our successes and our failures and the things that we were hoping to do. And it was interesting because I was kind of right in the middle of the group. There was a guy who was 23 or 24 straight out of the seminary, had his first call to smaller churches. There was another guy who was about 65, a really neat older pastor who spent his whole life faithfully serving the church. And he was coming to that point where he needed to figure out when did he call it time for retirement? And it was an interesting thing hearing the conversation between these two because this pastor really struggled over whether his life in ministry had done any good. Had it ever really mattered? Had his preaching ever fallen on ears that hurt it? Did he ever have any part of changing anybody's life? This 24-year-old didn't get it. He didn't understand why we spent so much time putting together messages. It was beyond him why we would waste a perfectly good week when we could be doing other things just struggling through God's Word for the words that we were going to share on Sunday. And then one day he came and he said, I figured it out. I figured it out. Preaching is awesome. It's not as much work as you guys have been putting in. I finally figured out how to do it. The guy who's struggling with the idea of retirement says, so tell us, enlighten me. What, what have I missed my whole career? And he said, it's really easy. I just read the gospel lesson in the last hymn before I preach, and then I get up and tell people what I think about it. And the preacher at retirement looked at him and he said, I feel sorry for your people and I know it's time for me to retire. If that's where the church is going, I really don't want any part of it. See, God's word deserves more than that. And the fact is that there are times when we say the things that we want the Bible to say. And then there's times that we need to make sure that we don't stray from Scripture. There is an eternity of difference between human preference and opinions and a word from God through the Holy Spirit. Paul shares both with us, and we need to make sure that we understand what's being said when he does. Just because we want the Bible to say something doesn't mean the Bible says it. 
See, we see the difference between these two in the next passage. Because in the very next passage, Paul and his group are headed to Asia. They're going to go preach the gospel to Asia because they hadn't heard it before. Their job is to spread the good news of Jesus to anybody who will listen. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, prevented them from going to Asia. God is acting in Paul's life and the Holy Spirit is moving. There's a difference between what Paul wants to go to Asia and what God wants for Paul to go to Philippi. We see the difference between human will and God's will being exercised. It's controversial, I understand that. But if we're going to read God's Word for what it is and apply Scripture for the way it was written, we need to make sure that we understand clearly what it is that we're reading. Unfortunately, this is where some denominations and some very serious divisions in the church, even between genders in the church, have taken over. And that's unfortunate. One of the most controversial sayings that Paul wrote to young Timothy was to instruct him about how Paul himself began churches and his place for women in the church. Understand, Paul being a man who has one foot deeply in Jewish tradition where women didn't even have a voice. They didn't speak. That was what Paul was coming from, and that's how he instructed Timothy for how he chose to do things. So they're turned back from going to Asia, and they're heading off to what amounts to being uh, Europe. There's a vision Paul has of a man from Macedonia, starting in verse 6. And the man from Macedonia, in this vision, makes a statement. He says, help us. So often when God calls us to do something for Him, it isn't just for a person. It's for a group of people. It's probably for more people than we can imagine. Help us, the man says in the vision. So Paul turns his direction and he is prevented from going to do what he wanted to do. Rather than going from to Asia, he ends up going to Europe. They end up in Philippi, an incredibly important city. Trade and travel. A lot of people went through there. It reminds me of earlier in Acts when Philip had this... Just great ministry in the area uh, north of where he was called. All kinds of people coming to faith. And God calls him to go to the road, go to the desert road, a long way away. And Philip drops what he's doing and he goes. And it turns that he has a conversation with one man in a chariot. The man says, what, what uh, would prevent me from being baptized? He's baptized. He knows salvation in Jesus. He goes on to carry the gospel to Ethiopia. When God's spirit moves, it's best that we listen. They finally get to where they're going. They're going to bring the gospel to uh, Europe. And they get to this town, not quite to Philippi yet. And they say, well, it's a Sunday. There's going to be people praying. They go down by the river. There's a gathering of women down by the river. Here's where we get the first real introduction to a different, a different way of doing ministry in the New Testament, the Old. Because there's a bunch of ladies praying. And Paul and the missionaries, as Jewish men, went and talked to these ladies to share the good news of Jesus. Now, in the Jewish culture, men would have never talked in public to a woman that they weren't married to, ever. But these guys are here to do mission work. They're here to bring the gospel of Jesus, to bring the good news. And they go and talk to these ladies, clearly showing a change in how it is that things are going to be done as the New Testament church grows. And we meet a woman named Lydia. This woman, Lydia, uh, ends up becoming saved. She invites the apostles to stay at her home. She knows salvation in Jesus, and she's baptized. She's the first European convert to the faith. And the gospel of Jesus begins to spread around the world even further. This theme of salvation is so important. But there's something else going on. It says, doesn't talk about a husband. It says that she is a wealthy merchant, and she dealt in purple cloth. Purple cloth was extremely rare because it was extremely expensive. Only royalty could afford it. Only, only royalty wore it. 
And there's an interesting thing in what God is doing here. She gets baptized, which means she's welcomed into the faith. She is saved and she's a believer in Jesus. She invites the whole team to her house. They all spend time with her, which must have meant it was a pretty large house. There's some things that we can read and understand. God doesn't look down in judgment on the wealthy. And sometimes people in some circles say, if you've got too much money, then you know what? You're doing something wrong. God doesn't really love people that have too much money. Not true. Lydia had a lot of money. God doesn't look down on people who earn their living in worldly trades. It isn't so much where you earn your money. It's what you do with it and how you conduct yourself. Because Lydia made a lot of money selling fabric fabric to Roman royalty. And finally, God certainly doesn't look down on women. There's a tremendous change between what was happening in the Jewish tradition of the Old Testament and this new way of the New Testament. Lydia is a prelude to the growing importance and the growing role of women in the New Testament church that simply was not allowed in the Old Testament. And so what is it that we understand? We understand that Jesus truly does see us all as equals. And that's just beginning to work itself out now in the book of Acts. Chapter, or verse 16 of chapter 16, they meet a new character. This new character is uh, Paul and Silas are in town, and there's a slave girl that has a spirit in her that allows her to predict the future. And she's running around town, and she's following these guys. And the statement that she makes over and over and over again is uh, found in verse 17. And what it says is this. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This woman who has a spirit that isn't of God is preaching the message of salvation. These are the guys to listen to. These guys are going to tell you how to be saved. It's interesting because she's out there following them. She's like a human billboard who's walking ahead of Paul and Silas in terms of what it is that their message is about. And it says, this is interesting, Paul gets greatly annoyed. Paul gets really bothered that this girl is out there announcing salvation and to listen to these guys. I don't understand why that would bother him other than he didn't like what the girl was doing. Paul got so frustrated that he cast the spirit out of the girl. And what that does is greatly angers her owners because their income through her is gone. What we see is a very human side of Paul. Not a particularly spiritual side. It's interesting, there's no sharing of the gospel, there's no talk of salvation, just Paul getting greatly irritated. So the owners figure out, we're not going to make any money off this girl anymore. So they call Paul and Silas out, they have them stripped of their clothes, beaten with wooden sticks, and thrown into prison because their income is gone, their hope for income is gone. They end up getting tossed into jail, into the inner part of the dungeon, with their feet clamped in stocks. You would think that it was over. But God is still at work. And in verse 25, it tells us what their answer is. And this is another part of Paul. Paul always sees the positive. Paul always sees the opportunity. Paul always believes that every situation and every circumstance is an opportunity for God to be at work through his life. And so what they end up doing is singing and praying. They're locked in the inner part of the inner part of this prison. There is no getting out. They've got guards. They're clamped to the floor with with metal shackles, and they sing and pray. And apparently they sing and pray loud enough that everyone can hear them. It, It looks like it's the end of the road for Paul and Silas. But Paul knows God is still at work. Paul knows that God isn't done, even in that jail cell. And in verse 26 it says, Suddenly there was an earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately fell open, 
And the chains of every prisoner fell off. Not just Paul and Silas. Every prisoner in the whole jail. The jailer's asleep when the earthquake happens. He wakes up, sees the doors are all gone, assumes the prisoners have all run away. His first instinct is to take his sword and kill himself, hoping that he could make it look like one of the prisoners had killed him on their way out. Why? Because for a Roman jailer to allow prisoners to escape for any reason, it would have been humiliation for him. It would have been a lifetime of humiliation for his family. And it would have been a death sentence in short order. He wouldn't have lived through the experience, and so he decides he's going to take his life and hope that does the best for his family. Instead, the Bible says, Paul yells out to him and stops him and says, don't do it. We're all still here. Nobody left. The jail is still secure. Yes, the doors fell off, but we're still here. That shout from Paul literally saved that jailer's life. What do you do when God yells out, stop, to you? What do you do when God yells out to you through him, His own voice in your mind or in your heart or to someone else? What do you do when God yells out to you? What do you do when, when God says, go? What do you do when God says, run? What do you do when God says, pray or read or serve or give? What do you do? Do you immediately pay attention and act on that? Or do you brush it off and say, I've never heard God speak to me before. Surely that's not it. I don't want to do it anyway. The simple word stop from Paul was enough to save this man's life and change the trajectory of his life forever. Verse 29, the jailer called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Why in the world would a Roman soldier fall down in silence before two prisoners? Because he'd heard them sing and he'd heard them pray. He knew that they weren't in there alone. He knew by the example of their life and their response to the experience that they were the cause of this earthquake, that they were behind why it is that none of the prisoners had left. Then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, he calls these prisoners, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why in the world did he ask about that? Why didn't, he, why didn't he say, what do I have to do to keep my life? What do I do now? How do I explain this to my bosses? What must I do to be saved? Why? Because Paul and Silas must have been singing and praying about salvation of everyone around them and everyone who they would meet. Isn't it amazing how God uses our, our moments of crisis, our moments of helplessness and hopelessness and feeling all alone, our moments when we know that there's nothing that anybody else on earth can do. We are truly in it on our own if it wasn't for God. When you think about it, we've all had those moments. We've got one of two responses. It all boils down to that. Either we can get angry and we can run away from God, or we can say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're at work, and I know that you can make something out of this that I can't make of it on my own, and we choose to run to God. We get to do one or the other. Paul and Silas chose to run to God. What do you choose? When the going gets tough and you feel like you're facing the end, a situation or a circumstance you don't want, you wouldn't have ever chosen, yet there you are. Do you run from God or do you run to God? This jailer had been listening to Paul and Silas singing and praying. He doesn't call for his life. He calls for his salvation. 
He doesn't call to say, I, I want to live to be an old age. I want to see my children grow. What he calls to them saying, how can I be saved? How can I know salvation in your Jesus? What must I do to be saved? There are so many Christians out there that spend so much time and invest so much effort thinking they're going to be the ones that are going to save the church. They're going to be the one that comes up with this great new ministry plan that everybody's going to love. Or we're going to save the church from people that we don't like or that aren't like us or that are different or that are just too sinful. They think they're the only ones that can possibly do that when they realize God is at work in ways we can't even imagine when what we should be focusing on is our salvation and like in the book of Acts, the salvation of others. So now you see clearly in this little mini-movie that God is at work. God is always at work, even when it feels like we are all alone and that it's hopeless. And when we're in line with Him, there's nothing that God can't accomplish. There's nothing that God is unable to do when He is at work. Like Paul and the rest of the people in Acts, and it's why I love this book of the Bible. You and I today, if we choose to accept it, get a front row seat to watch all of what it is that God is doing around us. And sometimes we get to be in the middle of it. We get to be the people that God is using. See, we've got such a clear record, all of us do. Such a clear record of human will in our lives, just like in the life of Paul. The way God redirected his mission. God's will in the situations and circumstances that God uses to accomplish His purpose is perfect. His timing is perfect. We might not like it, but God is truly in control while He's at work. It makes me wonder, we were talking last week at home, it makes me wonder why we need TV, why do we need movies, when we can read and experience and live this incredible, epic movement of God. It reminds me of what I see happening in Teen Challenge. Reminds me of what I see, the movement that I see in Teen Challenge in Haiti. It's the movement that I see in Recovery Church here and around the country. It's the movement that I see happening at Wednesday nights in our different locations with our young people. God is at work and it's the transformation, the salvation of human souls that God is doing. So far in Acts, here's what we've, or excuse me, in this chapter, here's what we've encountered. New people are in the mix, including Timothy, who we'll read more about. God stopping Paul's desire to go to Asia, redirecting them to Europe, meeting and witnessing the conversion and the baptism and the salvation of Lydia, the first European convert. The slave girl who spoke of salvation and triggered Paul. The beating, the jail, the earthquake, the salvation of the jailer. The saving of the apostles from jail. God is at work. And God is at work in human salvation. But have you been saved? God has been at work in your life because you're here this morning. You're watching online. God is at work in your life. God has moved you to listen and put you in a position to be able to hear what he has for you. But have you been saved? Are you beginning to understand salvation is a thing for somebody or is salvation a reality for you? Has Jesus taken a place in your life, the place that you were created for him to have? Are you still living in your will according to your plan? See, see, God is at work. God is at work in the world around you, the situation and circumstances around you. God is at work in you, but will you welcome God to complete the purpose that He has for you? Next week, right after this service, we're going to have baptisms out in the lake out there. Is it time for you to take that step 
to say, I'm ready to walk with Jesus. I'm ready to make it official. I'm ready to make a statement in front of my church family. See, if God is leading you to that, please don't run away. Don't ignore him. Run to the water. Run to baptism. Run to Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to commit your life or recommit your life and open your heart and your mind and listen and act on the Holy Spirit at work in you. You know, you don't have to be around a church very often. In fact, there are people who come to church who have heard the Holy Spirit and don't even know it because God is at work all the time, everywhere. Maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit and you're just having a hard time not running away. Or maybe you're one of those people who says, I'm going to wait. I've heard... I even believe. I think that it's true. I'm not ready to do anything about it yet. Maybe you're one of those people who's waiting for an earthquake in your life for God to get your salvation attention. You can do that, but there's easier ways. There's easier ways, and that is to simply accept the free gift of salvation that God gives us in Jesus. The work that God was doing in the book of Acts, God is still doing today. He's doing in our church, and He's doing in your life. What is your response to Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for our opportunity to gather today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul, for his life, for his ministry, for his mission work. God, thank you for the way that man was just unendingly positive. He was positive in situations that would likely have broken most of us. And yet, God, he truly wholeheartedly believed that you were at work and that if he was in a place, if he was in a situation, it was somewhere that you could, you could have glory in, that you could work and you could bring people to faith in Jesus. God, help us to have that kind of commitment, that kind of faith, that we know that whatever is happening around us, God, you can use it for your glory. Help us to understand that salvation truly is your mission on earth, to save human souls, to bring us back into a right relationship with you through Jesus' death and resurrection. God, thank you for doing for us through Jesus what we cannot do for ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Against. Hey, if you're wondering what to do this week, you go out there, man, I got, I got these friends and I got family members and people I work with who don't know Jesus. You know what? Take a hint from the book of Acts. And in whatever language that you need to use, help them to understand salvation. Help them to understand that there's a point to this life that goes beyond doing and getting what they want. That the point of this life is living for Jesus who gave his life for us. And you all get to use different language and you get to, to change what that message sounds like. But the message is always the same, that God sent Jesus, that we could know salvation through him. And there's a world out there, there are people close to you who are literally dying because they don't know that.